0: Hello and welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews of films covering all eras, not just the 1980s, at my website, Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, also check out the link that I have to my other podcast covering brand new movies out in the theaters. It is called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Just click that link and you'll find it. As far as this podcast goes, I just covered three films of the 1980s in which the protagonist gets amnesia, ends up living a different life, and then ends up improving their overall life once they get their memory back. The film I'm going to be reviewing today also features a character that gets amnesia. However, I don't think that that amnesia really is a benefit to that character overall. Although, like the previous three films, I would kind of qualify it as a comedy, a very, very black comedy, a satire as well. It is called RoboCop. It's from 1987. It's the first of a three-part series in which I'm going to be looking at movies of the 1980s in which a cyborg features prominently as part of the main plot. RoboCop, of course, it's a very, very hard R-rated film. It has pervasive graphic violence, drug use, brief nudity, and language. In fact, it was really rated X by the MPAA for reasons I will get into when I get into the body of this review. The runtime is an hour and 42 minutes. Peter Weller is... The main star, Ronnie Cox, Kurtwood Smith, Nancy Allen, and Miguel Ferrer get supporting roles. The director is Paul Verhoeven, his first American film. And the screenplay credited to Edward Newmeyer and Michael Miner. Now, if you know me and you've been reading my reviews for any length of time, you know that I consider RoboCop to be a fantastic science fiction film. I really think it was undercut at the time of its release. It really is subversively posing as a cheesy B-movie, which is how a lot of people took the movie at the time of its release in 1987. But if you look underneath the surface, RoboCop is actually one of the smartest and funniest and gutsiest movies of its era. It's filled to the brim with cheeky social commentary, and I think this is also one of those rare action films that hits you heavy with the satire while also engaging you on a surface level with this intriguing story and a very strong visceral dynamic. After the originally intended Jonathan Kaplan signed on and then off the RoboCop project, and a slew of other American directors. I mean, really, this was offered to so many directors that turned down the opportunity. They ended up bringing in a Dutch filmmaker named Paul Verhoeven. Verhoeven had been a longtime science fiction fan, despite not yet making a film in the genre. He cited a lack of funds for expensive science fiction and effects technology when he was in Europe as the key reason he never really dabbled into it. He was brought in here. He had already worked for the studio that made RoboCop, Orion Pictures, on his previous film called Flesh and Blood. At the suggestion of his wife, who had read the script and thought it was perfect for him, Paul Verhoeven, he had originally dismissed this completely. He was really on the verge of throwing it out. His wife ended up helping him come around based on the notion that he could actually take this pulp premise and do something actually visionary with it. And also, it would help to introduce him to American audiences, crafting the first of several engaging ultra-violent science fiction films that would also rank among the best genre films of their era. Of course, I'm talking about Total Recall and Starship Troopers that he would follow this with. Now, as far as RoboCop goes, it's set in a near-future Detroit. The actual year is A little bit murky here. It's mostly shot in Dallas, Texas, because the producers thought that the more future-forward look to the building designs, as well as having a share of rundown areas that would help the narrative, were really a little bit more ideal to what they were thinking about when it came to a futuristic Detroit the city streets are just about completely dominated by the criminal element of this future, while the police are neither respected nor welcome. They're virtually walking targets out there. So, desperate to clean up the crime-ridden community and build a gleaming new one in its place, the government officials turn to a corporation called OCP or Omni Consumer Products to build and manufacture what they bill as the future of law enforcement, these robotic police that are more powerful and well-armed in anything anyone has ever seen before. However, the first prototypes prove inconsistent, so the city officials balk at the idea. And that results in an upstart faction within the OCP to come up with a newer and more human cop, a cyborg, built using the remnant body, in this case of a downed officer named Alex Murphy, played by Peter Weller, dubbed simply as Robocop. Things proceed splendidly for the RoboCop program, that is, until the human side of the cyborg begins to recollect his past life as Murphy. He's plagued with flashbacks to the family he lost and psychopathic criminals who all but ended his life as he knew it. He's determined to bring those bad guys that did him in to justice. RoboCop sets out on a mission of his own, not realizing that the gang in question is actually in cahoots with a rogue entity within the OCP, who, for all intents and purposes, also own the city, the police department, and the machine side of Murphy. Way more to the story than that, but watching this film and discovering those things are part of the main delight of RoboCop. Verhoeven here is a whiz. He treads the fine line between social commentary and exploitation in a way that he actually manages to pull off this double feat of being a great example of both. While most of RoboCop is extremely schlocky in execution, I would argue it's intentionally so. It makes fun of the very conventions that it also readily embraces, and then it kicks things into overdrive with this over-the-top relish. A whole gamut of popular cultural phenomena are skewered in RoboCop, from Detroit's crime-ridden reputation to the pacifying tendencies of bad television to senseless advertising to ratings-driven news reports. All the way to the decline of the American automobile industry and the apathetic stranglehold of American corporations on all facets of government. This is a brilliant blend of exhilarating action, psychological pathos, and this dead-on funny satire that makes for one of the more adrenaline-pumping action vehicles of the 1980s. RoboCop would also mark the debut of screenwriters Michael Miner. Miner had been dabbling in being a director of shorts and music videos before this and also longtime script reader for Hollywood, Edward Neumeier. Now, Neumeier's interests began taking shape as he poured through literary properties that he felt could be translated into movies. After seeing a poster of Blade Runner, he became hooked on this notion of having a robot hired to take down humans instead of the other way around, as in that film. Neumeier happened to envision a number of dark tech comic books that had a cinematic appeal he thought could be brought forward. Marvel Comics' Rom. The Machine Man, and Iron Man, and from the UK, Judge Dredd, all four properties would end up shaping his ideas for RoboCop's conceptual design. After coming up with these notions, he discovered that Michael Miner had already been working on a property in which a human cop turns into a cyborg, they decided to combine their ideas into much of what we would eventually see on the screen as RoboCop. Now, the script here is full of semi-surreal assertions of the folly of humankind, especially when it comes to our use of technology, when it's used to privatize and commercialize essential government functions, such as law enforcement, and that causes very smart engineers to have to work overtime to make products that make the populace less intelligent, maybe even less safe. There's a recurring sitcom here where the main character's oft-used line is, I'll buy that for a dollar. That's a reference to a character Kind of an in-joke here for sci-fi buffs. Within this influential and, I would say, prophetic science fiction novella about a world in which all but a few elites who ran the world were of low intelligence. That story was written by Cyril M. Kornbluth. It came out in the early 1950s. It's called The Marching Morons. If you've ever seen the film Idiocracy, it really takes a lot of the ideas from The Marching Morons. Now, in that story, there was a character that would say, would you buy that for a quarter? which would become I'll buy that for a dollar, the catchphrase in this television show. There are a lot of revealing news stories on television, such as one briefly mentioning that a strategic defense platform codenamed Peace, which is obviously an irony given that its use is really for war, that... Defense platform had malfunctioned in orbit and eventually culminated in the destruction of a big part of Southern California in the resulting wildfire. Now that last part is a motif that occurs throughout RoboCop. The desire for money and power causes products to rush to market without the proper testing or the expenditures on safety guarantees. And that sets the table for the folly of the robotic police force idea that is being propagated in order for billionaires to increase their wealth by eradicating the criminals so that they can make good on this Delta City project. The more that we as humans build, the more that we end up destroying, from cannon guns to toxic waste, the Detroit of our future is full of the nasty byproducts of the human quest for money and power over life and the environment. Now, this idiocy is further explored when you see a scene in which a gas station attendant, a college student studying from a book of mathematics, he meets the barrel end of a gun held by one of the main goons of the film who further harasses him by asking him if all of his quest for intelligence can really stop a bullet from his gun, suggesting that in this world, even the dumbest person with the power to kill reigns supreme over the meek who seek to make themselves or their world better with education. Now, it should be noted here As background to that scene, that the gas station attendant, it was made to resemble Paul Verhoeven when he was younger. Verhoeven himself is the son of a schoolteacher. He grew up in a part of the Netherlands near a German base where the Allied bombs would frequent, nearly killing his parents during one fateful day in World War II. He would later earn degrees in mathematics and physics, and that cemented his notion that all of this education would eventually be used by the wealthy and the powerful and the dumb to do more harm than good for society. And the commentary here on the Detroit-manufactured car known as the 6000SUX that's kind of a nod to his ideas of American engineering. The commercial tagline for the 6,000 sucks is an American tradition. The populace thinks it's preferable to have a big and fast and fancy car, no matter how terrible the gas mileage or the engine efficiency may be. Now, Peter Weller here is the star. He would be sought after when several notable actors turned down the role. A lot of names you could trot out here. I could go on a long time, but David Carradine and Peter Fonda, Mark Hamill, Nicholas Cage were among those not interested. They turned down the role because RoboCop is mostly an unemotional entity and could only be seen as a human in his mouth and chin. Peter Weller was thought to be appealing for that role because of his stoic demeanor, his slender frame so he could easily fit into this bulky suit as compared to uh, beefier front runners for the role like Rutger Hauer and Michael Ironside, and he had what the producers thought were an attractive lips and chin and very emotive in that very small part of his face. Peter Weller would spend several months in the lead up to the role with a mime coach to learn how to capture the robotic movements required for the role, especially while lumbering, while donning this 25-pound RoboCop suit as well as how to devise a way to show some inkling of humanity within that suit that would suggest the cyborg is in conflict with his own nature at the same time. Nancy Allen, in the supporting role of Anne Lewis, the fellow cop, she took the role after Stephanie Zimbalist, the top choice for the role, had to turn it down when she returned to her initially canceled TV show called Remington Steel. NBC ordered more episodes of that canceled show because they wanted to capitalize on Remington Steele's co-star Pierce Brosnan reportedly being sought after to appear as James Bond for the next film in the series called The Living Daylights. That choice had the opposite effect. The producers of The Living Daylights, the Bond producers, passed on Brosnan and decided to ride their fortunes once again with Timothy Dalton so they didn't have to wait for him to be done with the TV show. Jamie Lee Curtis and Mary Elizabeth Antonio also reportedly passed on the role of Anne Lewis. Paul Verhoeven really makes it all look so easy and I think so much that one almost feels guilty for enjoying RoboCop because on the surface it looks and feels very much like a bad movie. Looks can often be deceiving because RoboCop, I think, if you look underneath the junk cinema exterior, is one of the most intelligent and savvy thrillers of the science fiction genre, perhaps only bested by The Terminator in terms of blending intelligent, complex science fiction with all-out supercharged action within the 1980s. Paul Verhoeven is a student of film as well. He built on this world that was envisioned 50 years prior in Fritz Lang's Metropolis, which also contains elements of politics, including the fascist nature of capitalism, these monolithic industrial environs, and the sleek but strong design of the robot, the main robot itself. There are also religious parallels to be found within RoboCop, very intentionally so by Verhoeven. Murphy can be seen here as a bit of a Christ figure, especially in his gruesome death and his resurrection into a new body, a savior to the people. He's initially unrecognized by his peers, just like Jesus was in the Bible. And there's this climax that includes a moment where he walks on water and he also takes a spear into his body, very much like what happened to Jesus Now, due to the graphic nature of its sadistic violence, RoboCop would initially be burdened with an X rating by the MPAA. Orion Pictures appealed that X rating several times, trying to get the R rating without cuts, because they emphasized that the film is actually a black comedy, and the absurd over-the-top excess within the violence is actually so overdone as to have the effect of being much more comical than it is horrific, and that if they were to cut any of that violence down and that would have the opposite effect of actually becoming much more realistic and serious to the viewer and therefore more horrific nevertheless the argument only went so far the filmmakers were forced to reduce the carnage to get that R rating and they were right about it becoming much more disturbing as a result of not taking things to the point of absurdity when i saw the R rated film when it finally came out on VHS i i actually could not go very far into this movie the death of murphy toward the beginning of this film was too much for my teenage mind to really bear. I can easily watch it today because I'm much more inured to that kind of violence, and I anticipated that it's coming, but boy, I had never seen anything that violent up to that point in my life, and it really shocked me, almost to nausea, I will admit, at that time. Now, while RoboCop is a great film for sci-fi and action buffs, I think it should be noted that if you don't consider yourself to be among either camp, I think what you ultimately get out of it... Will be a little bit more limited. As I mentioned, it's quite graphically violent, purposefully gratuitous in its violence in many ways. Although, as I mentioned, it's so absurd that you actually are able to distance yourself from the horrors of the sadism to actually find it amusing without feeling yourself like a sick bastard for enjoying it. Again, I must emphasize, if you cannot stomach excessively bloody carnage, do not attempt this film, even though I ultimately think that the violence adds a great part of the appeal and the satire of what Verhoeven is trying to achieve. Now, the movie would prove to be a pretty big success at the box office. It dominated its first two weeks of release at number one. It ended up taking in over $53 million just within the US, and that placed it within the top 20 highest grocers of 1987. It would rake in even more than that worldwide, and it only had a budget of about $13 so pretty big hit here. Sequels would naturally be generated because of that success, although those sequels lacked the visionary talents of Verhoeven and would not recapture that mix of absurdity or surrealism or the satire of this original. One of the funny ironies of RoboCop is that despite it being too violent for children and many adults as well, there actually would come to be a RoboCop animated series made for children primarily, co-created by screenwriter Michael Miner that ran for several episodes in 1988, and then animated series would be resurrected at least a couple more times over the years. RoboCop, as a film though, succeeds on many levels, but I would say that the one I'm most impressed with is that it actually makes us feel something for this cyborg at the heart of the film. It has moments of surprising emotion at the core of what could have been a throwaway Terminator knockoff. You know, here we have a film so excessive in nearly every department, and yet it's the subtle moments for which it remains the most powerful. As you can probably tell, I love Robocop. I'm giving it four stars out of four. Four stars on my scale means that I would recommend it to everybody, except for those people who really cannot handle this kind of violence. And that actually does constitute a very large percentage of the movie-going populace. But if you're into very heady sci-fi action thrills and whatnot, and you can deal with the blood and viscera, there's so much more to this than that. And I really do highly recommend RoboCop, enough to give it four stars out of four, one of my favorite films, of the 1980s. This would, of course, be followed up with a couple of sequels. RoboCop 2 came out in 1990, RoboCop 3 in 1993. As RoboCop was conceived of as a standalone film, I don't feel like I need to cover those within the course of this podcast because I'm covering films of the 1980s. Those two films were co-written by comic scribe Frank Miller, whose edgy treatment in The Dark Knight Returns, is seen as an influence on the original RoboCop. There would be a short-lived television show for RoboCop. A miniseries would end up emerging uh, in 2000 called RoboCop Prime Directives. It also spawned those animated TV cartoon series, as I mentioned, and was rebooted in 2014 with a vastly inferior RoboCop. That really jettisoned all of the reasons why this film is at all special. I don't recommend that film as your first RoboCop experience, even though it is PG-13 and does not contain that violence. It is paltry goods, as far as I'm concerned. So we're going to end the RoboCop series here, even though there's quite a bit more to the saga as it continues on through all the various mediums. I'm going to continue on the three-part series of Cyborgs in 1980s films with one that is called Cyborg. So that makes it an obvious choice. It came out in 1989, and it stars Jean-Claude Van Damme, Oh boy, I have not seen that film in a long time. I would not say I'm a huge fan of it based on my recollections, but maybe a second watch will help me see a little bit more of what makes it an appealing film for Jean-Claude Van Damme fans, at least especially. Cyborg from 1989 for this week. If you want to keep up with the reviews, catch that one, and you'll hear my review of it next week. At the very least, even if I come away thinking it's nothing special, it's one of those movies that I probably will have fun reviewing. So check that out for next week. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the review. Click that subscribe button if you haven't done so already. Don't get you can find my contact information at my website quipster.net dot net. and until next time i appreciate everybody joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies